0: marketing doesn't just have to align with sales. They certainly do, but we also need to align with product. We have to be aligned on the strategy, go to market, launches. It doesn't mean we always get along, but we do duke it out every once in a while because inevitably there's limited resources, people, funds, and we have to align on priorities. But fundamentally, we are in it together. We're focused on it and we're working through the tough decisions that have to be made.
1: Hi, I'm Jubin go-to-market partner at Kleiner Perkins, and this is GTMG, a show that interviews world-class revenue and go-to-market leaders to explore how they operate, think, and deploy grit every day in order to build incredible companies. Speaking of world-class companies, there are more incredible startups in the Kleiner portfolio than I've ever seen. When I was operating, I would have begged to be in some of these companies. If you're listening, and we don't do sponsorships on this show, so I figured I'd use this opportunity. If you're listening and you are inspired by the stories of my guests and you want to find the next incredible ride for you, reach out to me. Let's find an amazing job in the Kleiner portfolio. Now let's get to the episode. Megan, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, I kick all of these things off the exact same way. You've never heard an episode before, so you don't know that Jubin tends to screw these things up at the very beginning. When he inevitably does, correct him. We can use that as our platform to get this thing going. Okay. You went to Cal Poly. At some point you went to school in Japan.
0: Yes, yeah, Waseta.
1: All right, what's it called?
0: Waseta University. It's like the Stanford of Japan.
1: Oh, fancy. Was that your MBA?
0: No, that was just a year abroad. My MBA was at Yale.
1: Okay, and then you went to Cisco? Yep. Project manager in IT, doing cool stuff for five years. Then you went to Yale, two yep. years. Yep. Then you went to IBM, which at the time was actually a reasonably cool company. You were in product managing or product marketing. Then you went to Postini, spent a year there. I guess at some point that got acquired.
0: Yeah, acquired by, as I was leaving, Google was acquiring mm. them, yeah.
1: Did you reconsider while you were leaving? No. Okay. No, I didn't. All right. And then I can't even pronounce this, Tririga? Tri-Riga?
0: Tri-Riga, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's where I switched from product marketing over to demand gen and programs.
1: And while you were there, also acquired?
0: Eventually, they got acquired by IBM. I did not stay for that. I left and, and followed ArcSight. Can you, you imagine
1: going back to IBM? Oof. Okay. And then hopefully there's nobody from the audience listening to IBM. And then you went to ArcSight? Yes. You spent three years there.
0: We were bought by HP, yeah. While you were there? While I was there, yeah. And I stayed for a year and a day.
1: You stayed for a year and a day just to rest invest? Yep. Okay. And then you went to DocuSign. Yes. And that's when things started to really cook.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was higher up in the organization and had some more experience under my belt and was heavy demand gen at that point.
1: You did VP of demand gen and systems for three-ish, four years? Yep. And then about a year of VP of marketing and customer acquisition, something like that?
0: Yeah, my role expanded. So okay. I had demand gen, field marketing, web systems, and then I took on customer marketing as well towards the end of my time at DocuSign.
1: And it was 150-ish people when you were there, about 1,200 when you left?
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Okay. Then you went to Mongo. You were the CMO of MongoDB. For, you know, like when I, is it bad when I say Mongo? Is no, that, I, as, a, as
0: a CMO, I just say the whole name, MongoDB. Well, so <laughs> when I
1: was at Palo Alto Networks, nobody, yes. nobody calls it that, but marketing was very keen on making sure that we said the whole, makes sense, said the whole name yes. since you guys made it up. Okay, so MongoDB, CMO for four years with our previous guest, Carlos Della Torre, and then Trip Actions for two plus years now?
0: Yeah, it'll be three years uh, end of January.
1: So a couple things. First of all, this is the first time we've ever had marketer on the show. So very exciting. Second, purely CMO. It's the first time we've ever had a guest of a returning company. So this is special.
0: All right. I'm, I'm excited to be on your special. This is
1: special. A little birdie told me that you lived in Japan and you don't eat (laughs)
0: That little bird is named Carlos. You don't eat fish.
1: Is that true? (laughs) No, no.
0: I I eat fish. I'm just a picky eater. I eat lots of things, but there are lots of things I don't eat. (laughs) He's a
1: very big sushi buff.
0: Yes. I tend to stick more to avocado rolls, but I have tried lots of sushi.
1: Okay. So you do eat sushi.
0: Yeah. I eat it if that's all there is to eat.
1: Okay. So you don't really like it. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay. Fine. What was your first ever job?
0: Oh, my first ever job?
1: Like where someone paid you. It doesn't have to be like a W-2 I direct mean, deposit, but where ba- pay-
0: babysitting. <laughs> I was a babysitter. I was a pool monitor. I worked at a pharmacy as a clerk. I tutored. I did five jobs at once. Where? Uh, I mean, I was in high school.
1: Okay. Like where in the world?
0: Oh, I was in San Jose, Almaden. Okay. I grew up in Almaden, yeah.
1: Okay. Why were you doing all this stuff?
0: Because I wanted to make money. Why? Because <laughs> I didn't have any money and I wanted to do stuff. My parents covered me in school, but I wanted to like buy clothes and go out with my friends. And they gave me a car, but I need to put gas in it. And I want to go to college. So I had to save money.
1: Were you always the overachiever? Like think everyone at school just kind of dubbed you the overachiever.
0: Yes. Most likely to succeed if you look at the yearbook.
1: No way. I knew it. You're kidding. <laughs>
0: no, I, no, I really was. Yeah.
1: Well, they were right. I asked Carlos, I said, what questions would you ask Megan? Him and I were texting last night. And one of them was the sushi thing, the fish thing. And then he said, she has three daughters and three dogs. She's like a a superhuman.
0: (laughs) I have three daughters and three French bulldogs, male dogs though.
1: And so you've always been this way. What is it like a chaos thing?
0: You know, I think it's a FOMO. You have fear of missing out. I wanna do it all. You go through life once, might as well try everything. And yeah, you don't know what you're going to like until you try it. And I I think I just grew up trying a lot of different things and doing a lot of different things. And why well, miss out?
1: Isn't the dark side of overachiever syndrome is that you just get overwhelmed with a bunch of shit all the time?
0: Maybe, or you just get better at it. I think as you do things, you get better at prioritizing, you have pattern recognition, you just get more efficient so you can take on more. So if I tried to do what I was doing now 10 years ago or 20 years ago, no way. But as I've gotten better at making decisions and seeing things over and over again, you have a gut feeling, you can make decisions fast. I would say one thing often when I come into a new job is the team will say, wow, you make decisions really fast. doesn't mean I make the right decisions all the time, but I can make pretty fast decisions.
1: What was the last decision that you made pretty fast?
0: Oh, that's a good question. We're running ads and you're picking copy. And do you have time to go spin up an agency and do the right research and all that stuff. I mean, that's the right way to do it. Go take a quarter, two quarters, but it's a fast moving market. So let's just throw ad copy out there and design and see what sticks.
1: I had Mike Clavel on, do you know who that is? The CR of Stripe now, formerly of AWS. And Amazon has this thing where, when someone on his team would make decisions, after they made the decision, he would ask them, what's your confidence interval in oh, this decision? Yes. and generally people think that the right answer is a very high degree of confidence. So usually the answer is 90, 95%, somewhere in the nineties. Yeah. And his immediate response to that is you took too long. Anytime you're in the nineties, you took too long to make that decision. Yeah, you
0: took too long to gather the information. Generally
1: speaking, it's always gonna be imperfect. And if it's not imperfect, it's way too late. Yeah. And so he generally benchmarks around the 70% confidence interval to make a decision.
0: Yeah, I bet that threshold difference between uh, men and women. Why is that? Well, they always say women won't take something on unless we have a really high 90 to 99% that we can do it. Huh. Right? So I wonder if you looked at that, women, do we take risks fast enough, early enough? Is that what holds us back? Cause we're risk averse. I don't know. I mean, that's a blanket statement. Huh.
1: Was there a decision that you've made that comes to mind too quickly that you regretted in retrospect?
0: Oh, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, probably having the second or third dog. <laughs> there's a lot of pickup around that. Um, yeah, but once you have them, you have them.
1: <laughs> okay, that, that's it? No, I mean, give I'm, your, su- I'm like, sure there's was, a ton of others. I was others. thinking one of like you, I don't know, picked the wrong name for a company or something. We're gonna do a rebrand or a relaunch and you had 50 decisions to make all at the same time. And you misprioritized which one was actually important. And you probably scuttled too quickly through one that wasn't. Maybe you didn't, maybe you've never no, done it. No, I
0: mean, I'm sure I've done a ton of that. We have an amazing product called Liquid and it's a payments expense management product, but there's a lot of products out there called Liquid. So how do you position, differentiate and go out when you've picked a name that's out there a lot of things. So it's yet to be determined if I pick the wrong name and put it out there.
1: You said something that I want you to just talk about to get this thing going, it was as someone asked you about advice in your career that you've gotten or advice that you would give and you dispensed it through the lens of someone gave you this advice, which was treat your sales team as a customer. Yes. What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. So I think one of the things I lucked out on is after business school, I joined Trigo and they had just been bought by IBM. That's actually how I entered in through a startup that had been bought. And the CMO at the time was Dan Drucker, And he was strong product marketer and said, the success or failure of marketing is their alignment with sales. And he said, it's really important that you look at sales as a partner and a customer and that you align with them. And it was interesting because at the time I was trying to learn a lot, so I was going to a lot of marketing conferences and talking to a lot of colleagues, and they were all struggling with butting heads with sales, and it was pointing fingers, and it was really down at the, you're not giving me enough leads, you're not giving me enough content. And they weren't looking at it as, okay, we're attacking the market together, let's figure out what are our challenges and let's go solve them. It's much better if you're facing the same direction solving and the competition is outside the company. And the challenge is outside the company. Now we need to solve it the best way and go to market. And that really stuck with me for a decade of how I was going to approach marketing. And that was my first marketing job because my first job out of business school was marketing. Prior to that, I was in IT. And so I just assumed that's how everyone went to market. And that was the philosophy. And that's he really partnered closely with the head of sales And as I heard more complaints of marketers were that, oh, sales is always pointing fingers at we're not doing this, we're not doing that. I was like, oh, that's not the relationship I have. I have, okay, what are our targets? How are we measuring success? What's the pipeline look like? What do you need to get? What's not working for you? Tell me, I need your feedback and then we'll go iterate on it. And I think Carlos is a tough customer, a tough CRO, but the relationship works because he's very direct and he gives me the feedback and I feel like he's there solving the problems with me and I feel like there's no weird hidden agenda. It's like, Megan, we got this problem. What are we gonna do about it? And I need your help in this. And that's just a much better way to go through life Mm. is to have a partner with your executive team and to be addressing the
1: external issues that you need to address for go-to-market you talked about at the time you were learning a lot. What do you mean by that?
0: I mean, you're always learning. I think if I went back and looked at my Amazon ordering books, the first decade was all these marketing books, still doing marketing books. I wanted to be a leader. So I Like self-help books. Self-help books, yeah. Leadership books. Yeah. There was a time period I was doing how to have a kid book, how to raise kids book. And then I swung back to self-help business books. But I, I think that's key for executives. You have to keep learning, reading If I don't know how to do a technology, I'll dive in and try and figure it out. I think early days in Salesforce, I had to learn how to use Salesforce and create dashboards and report and defend why I was making the decisions I was making. And I think it was people that dive in and try to learn something and self-teach and watch the online classes are the ones you want to hire because our whole job is facing problems, challenges, solving, and you have to learn on the job no matter what, because otherwise you're outdated. In tech, you're outdated if you don't keep learning. You need to hire people who have different skills. You need to learn from them. And so if you just get stuck in your ways, you're not gonna have a job in two years.
1: Is that Megan's favorite medium with which to learn is a book?
0: Uh, No, (laughs) I mean, I I think it's my team now. As I have a stronger and stronger team, they bring new insight and Mm. titles. I think it's my peers. I talk to other CMOs and VPs of marketing and what are they doing? I do read a lot of books. I'm up on the news. I don't watch TV beyond the news. Such an overachiever. But but in marketing, you have to be on the pulse of it all, right? You've got to also be on, on the social channels. Like you can't just stick on Twitter. You have to be up on... Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and whatever new things out there, you need to understand how that's going to impact and disrupt marketing and need to hire people. Sometimes when I'm interviewing folks, I can tell I'm not going to hire them for whatever reason. They don't fit what I need, but I'm on there and I don't want to waste the time, my time or theirs. I'll start to ask them, what do you do in your day-to-day? What are you reading? What are the apps you love? And I'll just try to extract information from them in that short amount of time. So it's not a total bust. And all of a I learned about LineApp three wait, so years ago. So wait,
1: wait, wait. So they're bombing an interview. <laughs> yes. And you know that they're not going to get a job there. Yeah. But you feel somewhat obliged to at least do the allotted slot of time that you're interviewing them for. And, and learn s- from it. And so you're like, well, selfishly, I might as well take advantage of this opportunity to learn.
0: Yes. Because they have something. I mean, an example is I was talking to a woman. This is three or four years ago. I was at MongoDB. MongoDB and it was for, I don't know, a developer advocacy role or something, and it was clear it wasn't going to be a thing. But she started talking about the Line app, and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, and I download the app, and I start looking at it, and it's a chat communication tool. It's very popular in Asia, and I just start to like learn about it. And then there's these stickers, and then all of a sudden we're buying logo packs for Line for developers that like to send these MongoDB stickers, and the, something I never would have had any clue because I don't chat over Line app right? I just never heard of it. So I do try to take opportunities based on who I'm talking to, to learn, like, what are the apps on your homepage of your phone? Why do you like them? I'm targeting people who develop apps or I'm in marketing. What I want to know how people are digesting do, information. Do you
1: want to co-host a podcast together? You'd be <laughs> a great host. This feels like it's totally in your wheelhouse.
0: Um, this, is the <laughs> easy, this is
1: the This is the easiest way ever to just scratch your curiosities, oh yeah, I'll just throw a podcast up and then I can talk to and get curious about whoever I want. It's the best excuse in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it does help you learn. And I I do think there's a lot of podcasts. Like Carlos is a big podcast guy. He's always me, he's like, go listen to this. This is what we need to do. And I'm like, okay, so I'll go listen to the podcast. And we had a recent one around, actually with Stripe and it was on expense management. And so I was, or expensing and looking at how much of the economy is online, for payments and anyway, I was like learning about small it. Small fraction. I know five or six percent. Yeah, knew, right? surprisingly
1: <laughs> small. I thought the same thing.
0: I was like, whoa. So that made me think, okay, wow, there's something here, and eventually the world's going to move to that. This is a massive market.
1: I hate this question because so many podcasts ask this question, and it's generally a closing question, but. I've heard you say you have a closet of books, which I just kind of like imagined in my head. I I actually believe you. I think you actually have a closet of books stacked on top of each other. Yes. What are the ones that you always gift your team?
0: The one that just came to mind is we're thinking about category creation and the book Play Bigger. And there's actually a whole agency around it, but it's like what they did a decade or two decades ago, maybe with Mercury and creating a category and how you differentiate and take a market. And so we're thinking a lot about that. So I've read that, now I'm reading it again because it's something we're we're focused on. So there's tons of different marketing books out there, depending on what you're trying to do. And then there's a new book called Move that just came out from the founder of Terminus. And uh, Which you sit on the board of. Yes, I do. And I'm reading those kind of books. They're looking at the market. They're looking at case studies. What are marketers doing? And I read it and I think, okay, how do I apply it at TripActions?
1: Mm. You said self-help for a while, then you oscillated to leadership type books. Yes. What are the, in the stack of leadership, any favorites? I'm totally putting you on the hot seat here.
0: Yeah. Ben Horowitz is on our board. The hard thing about hard yes. things. Yep. The hard thing about hard things. I read as I was entering into trip actions. Yep. And I felt a lot of great learnings there. When you think about leadership, I thought about it a lot as we entered a pandemic at a business travel company how making these tough decisions, hiring, what are you looking for? So that's an example. We've got Shaka Senghor on our team as well, running DEI. Yep. And he's got a couple books out there. There's a lot to run and lead a company and to think about because you're thinking about the people on your team, you're thinking about the market that you're going after, you're thinking about your function and how you can better run your own function. And in marketing, there's just a ton of channels you've got to understand and where people are going for information.
1: Can I recommend two very obvious, actually three, three books that sure. are my favorites? Yes. That I'm sure you've read. I just want to sound smart in front yeah, of you. Do it. Uh, one is Ride of a Lifetime. By Bob Iger, haven't read the Disney it. CEO. All right. Amazing. The second is Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. And then the third is Andre Agassiz. Do you know who that is? The tennis yeah. player, his autobiography. All right. Those are the three that I would recommend. Well, and if I was to give a fourth, it would be Ashley Vance's biography of Elon Musk. I just think it's amazing. But nonetheless, I think we uh, love him. Yeah. The idea around category creation, there's a lot of very practical books. But a lot of the time, and it's just Jubin's simple brain working this way. I think about this too. We're sitting in Kleiner's office. People just come in here and that's all they think and talk about. Yes. I like to read about the people that have created these amazing categories. And entrepreneurs, CROs, people on my team always ask, what book should I read? Yeah. And usually the first one that I recommend is Shoe Dog because it's a very, very honest reflection of how hard it is to build a business. It's just so hard. It is. And I think it builds a lot of empathy reading about how difficult a brand like Nike, how hard it was for them to do what they've done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. When I was reading the hard thing about hard things, I was like, a CEO's job is hard. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I had a lot more empathy for my CEO. Yeah.
1: yeah. So Ben Horowitz on your board. Yes. Have you ever bombed a board meeting? It doesn't have to be a trip action. just in general.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I have. Yeah.
1: None come to mind. What would bombing a board meeting even look like? Or maybe I'll ask you a different variation of this. Have you ever seen any of your peers bomb a board meeting?
0: Yes, of course I've been in tense board meetings. I don't think I'm gonna go into any of those examples here where you've just come in and you're presenting on one thing and a question comes in you're not expecting and it derails the conversation. And all of a sudden you're running down a different route. Yeah. I think if you're orchestrating the board meeting correctly, you've set expectations up front. The person's presenting, they've socialized a lot of these ideas and decks ahead of time, and you've got some alignment going into it, but you're also seeking some feedback. So I think if you're managing it right, you shouldn't bomb a board meeting, Mm -hmm. but I've certainly been on boards and attending board meetings, things that may go one way or the other
1: sit on G2's board, sit on Terminus's board. You're an advisor to, honestly, if I had the whole list written down here, it would be pages. You've done an incredible amount of really cool startups and advisory work with them, two of which are currently on Loom and Product Board. Yes. KP Companies. How cool is Loom? How cool. These? cool. like How cool is it? Yeah, we companies? use it
0: at Trip Actions. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I have a question for you. Yeah. What I do with Loom is I treat the partnership as a kind of the, my board and I do a QBR, because I come from sales. Yeah, I do QBRs and, too. And, uh, <laughs> which is very foreign adventure, by the way. Nobody does Like, 2 do are Or like I came in with a blazer, they're like, dude, take the blazer off, <laughs> she's crazy. Anyway, so I will record the deck that I'm gonna present in Loom. I send it to the board to watch in advance. Then they comment in Loom. Yeah. Then I send it to the entire firm so that all of the cross-functional people that need to know, know about it. And then- When we sit in this room, what are the outcomes that we want to accomplish?
0: Yeah, it's smart. It's a a really good use of time, of everyone's time. You've got everyone on board. You've gotten them to read it, digest it. It gets you past slide two or three. I think sometimes when people haven't digested the information, you get stuck early on. You don't actually get to the agenda that you want. At Terminus, they did a similar thing where the head of product, head of sales sent the recordings and the CFO sent the recordings ahead of time. And it was It was a great way to like digest it. Now let's get in and talk and discuss about what we want to talk about versus just having to go through the data. We all have the capacity to read and get the data and now come in with better questions so you can really tap into the board and what advice we can bring.
1: Does anybody prospect into you using Loom?
0: I want to say no. How surprising is that? (laughs) But I've started to ignore the videos that come in through emails from people I don't know.
1: But you ignore them all.
0: I mean, I'll glance at subject lines, but the cutesy ones I ignore. Huh. The ones I pay attention to are, hey, I know so-and-so and they recommended we talk. And they're using the weight of the relationship with so-and-so to get me to talk and then I'll take it. But otherwise it's too much inbound. Okay. It's the warm relationship. And I feel in, somehow indebted to the person they know that I'm like, okay, I'll give you 30 minutes to hear you pitch.
1: What is PG Tuesday?
0: I love it. It's Carlos. You know, he's smart. One of the reasons he's great to work with is his sales reps are hungry and they know how to sell. And PG Tuesday, they have prepped all the way up into that and they pipeline generate into accounts. So they're self sourcing deals. And there's nothing like marketing bringing in pipeline and deals, creating awareness, but you also sourcing and getting in
1: there. So What's your role in it? Do you have a role in it? I totally
0: have a role in it, for sure. First of all, from a marketing standpoint, if they PG into someone and they've never heard of Trip Actions or our liquid product, that's my fault, right? I haven't done enough in the market to be in the selection set. So I need to make sure they get someone to pick up the phone. Second of all, as they're PGing, they need assets. They need a reason to reach out. I need to create those reasons. I need to create the content, upcoming events, webinars, top of news, understand the persona they're reaching out to, what's going to get them to respond, customer case studies so they have proof points. I I need to validate them and give them the content they need to reach out with. And so every Friday, they get a PG passport, which is Six or seven pages, all table of contents of what are the top three assets you have to PG, to finance, to the CFO, to procurement, to HR. Okay, what are the upcoming events you can invite someone to to meet for a meeting? What's the current press that's out there? What are some case studies? What are the new things that are happening in the product to talk to an existing customer to expand? Do they know we have these features? And so every Friday we're arming them with information they need, and then we're creating outreach sequences for them. So they can easily outreach. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into making sure they're productive and efficient. If your marketing team is doing their job, if you have 70 reps all having to create their stuff to reach out, that's not efficient. So are you arming them with stuff so they can just be on the phone targeting their accounts?
1: And this happens every Tuesday?
0: Every Tuesday. And How they, long are they doing this? How long all is this- day long. Come on. All day long. It's these it.
1: PTC guys. They're all the same way. It's,
0: I know, but if you, Carlos teaches you how to sell and win and he's taken us up market. We have large enterprise deals. Yeah. He gets command of the message. Yeah. You come out of there as a, a very strong rep. You can go sell anything, which is why I love working with him. He knows how to sell.
1: Yeah, I have had many guests that have actually gone in their career laterally into either PTC itself or someone who has worked at PTC yes. in order to learn that discipline and skill set.
0: Yeah, they make great CROs, right? Yeah. You wanna be a CRO? Then go train under one of these sales reps. Yeah,
1: I mean, Dan Fugere did it at Datadog. Yes. And yep. then he trained a guy named Sean, who's now the CRO of Figma. I mean, yep. you see it all over the yep. place. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's true. What else Carlos said is, one thing I appreciate about her is that we're in it together. There's never any finger pointing we both want the company to win. So we view each other's problems as our own. And as I was soaking that statement in, how much easier does that make the alignment of your respective organizations all the way down?
0: For sure. I mean, I think that- like when
1: they see you yeah. two demonstrating yeah,
0: that. yeah, you can't have, because what happens if you guys are aligned and your team starts to point fingers or bicker, it's gonna get escalated eventually and we're gonna stop it and we're gonna align them. And we're going to make sure they realize they need to work together. Orgs work much more efficiently if the executives are aligned. That is something I definitely learned from Dave at MongoDB is that your first peer group as a C-level exec is the C-level executives. Your first team is the CRO, the CFO, the head of product. It's not your actual team that reports into you. That's your second team. And when you align as leaders and you have the same goals and you're aligning around the vision, the problems, you work through them. They're tough problems, but you're aligned. Your teams work better together. Marketing doesn't just have to align with sales they certainly do but we also need to align with product we have to be aligned on the strategy go to market launches like these teams all have to come together for go to market to understand the story we're telling the vision how do we enable the field to go after it how do we take feedback from the field from our customers making sure product is also taking that and the engineers are building that out. And we have to make tough decisions. It doesn't mean we always get along, but we do duke it out every once in a while because inevitably there's limited resources, people, funds, and we have to align on priorities. But fundamentally, we are in it together. We're focused on it and we're working through the tough decisions that have to be made.
1: There's so many sales leaders listening to this right now, calling their marketing peers, being like, all right, we got it. We got to work on this. You were at DocuSign at 150. The category wasn't created yet, but boy, did that become a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Are there any lessons that you learned creating that category? Because you've bounced around all different industries. Yes. And the only common theme is that you're creating a category and extraordinarily fast growth. Are there any lessons that you pulled from that experience? I'll kind of leave it open-ended, but things that you felt or learned there that have been pretty consistent across then Mongo, now TripActions, question makes sense? I know it's super open-ended.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do remember at 150, Keith Kroc, CEO, getting on the stage saying, and with our CFO, Mike, we are going to be the Kleenex of e-signature and the one who claims a majority of the category. People are going to docu-sign things not electronically sign something. They're going to docu-sign it. And they were really painting the vision of that. And one of the things we did is we aligned the company around one goal, which was volume of documents. We wanted to get the millionth document signed. And it was a way to align. If you're in customer success, you're making sure you're enabling the companies to have more use cases signing electronic. You might start with sales use case, signing contracts, but now you're doing facilities and procurement and onboarding and hiring And so I think at the beginning, you start with one use case, but then figure out how to go out into all the other use cases. So even in marketing, okay, my first persona was sales and contracts, and we targeted the sales persona, and we went all in on that. But once you got sales, now it was like, okay, let's go after procurement. Let's go after HR. And you're taking over all places. Anyone basically over the age of 18 that signed something is a target. But if you went after everyone, you're not going to get that far. So focus on a use case, focus on an industry, focus on a problem, solve it, get product market fit, and expand. If I think about it, most companies start out solving a problem, and you're problem market fit. Then your next thing is to get product market fit. Once you have product market fit, now you move to platform with multiple products. And it's kind of a great way to pick a company. If you can find someone with product market fit, that's going to grow. You take a large addressable market, like electronic signature, like travel, business travel, like the database. These are all very large markets with legacy incumbents that have been there a long time. And how do you disrupt it? Well, you come up with a product that's so different. It's got to be 10X better than any other product that's out there. And it's got to have customers that love it. MongoDB, high NPS score, developers loved it. Easy to use, 10X better than Oracle. Scalable, I swear, products built after the iPhone, disrupting legacy large markets that have good product market fit. you should go work there. But you think about it, you've got a massive market, a product everyone loves. It's only a matter of time you're going to take the market if you execute. So DocuSign, the incumbent, was really just fax machines and the old way of doing business. And now we've got a better way of doing it. You've got the iPhone coming out. People are used to interacting consumer experience on their app and you're doing everything in real time. Database, Oracle legacy, been around forever. Mongo came in a very different way to do it. You could build apps quickly. They scaled. Now do database as a service. Now release Atlas. Same thing. Trip actions. It's a Industry full of point solutions. you got booking with Concur. You've got to go work with Amex and the travel agencies. Then you've got to tie it back to expense management, either Expensify or Concur, all these disparate solutions. Or you could just have one platform, TripActions. Comes in, you've got booking, TMC, expense management, all in one. Why do the point solutions? So you come in, everyone loves the travel product. You figure out expense management. They love that. Now you're disrupting a massive market. You've got travels, 1.5 trillion, just business travel. You've got expense management, another couple trillion, right? You bring all that together, one platform on a modern stack. You don't want to go buy these point solutions that nobody likes.
1: You might give Carlos a run for his money for the CRO of this company. (laughs) One of our portfolio companies, Rippling, it's basically workday for SMBs and it does everything. Every single HR thing, they're rolling up like 10 different products into one just raised at $7 billion on TripAction's trajectory. Yeah, in my league. And it's insanity. I've never seen anything like it. On the problem product platform yes. maturation cycle, having done them all, which do you think is the hardest to pull off?
0: Ooh, I think it's hard to get the product market fit. So everyone's trying to solve a problem. And to do it, you got to fixate on the user And so DocuSign fixated on the user, MongoDB fixated on the developer, TripAction's fixated on the traveler and created a product the traveler loves and got a love for it, which drove adoption. And now you get product market fit, you need the team to go execute because you got a product people love. Now you need to make sure people are aware of it and then scale that up. So I came in, we had product market fit on the travel side. We're really going into more of the platform side of it, and that's multi-product. So we're travel and expense management. Now we're playing against Expensify, Brex, Ramp, Divi. That's a whole point solution set of products. And we're in there with travel expense management and payments and corporate cards. It's different when you go platform because you're now going after a bunch of point solutions You have to create that new category, which I don't think is easy. So I don't know. They're all hard, right? Pick a problem people are going to pay money for. That's hard. Okay, you got that. Now get product market fit. You built something people love. Now you got to get it out to the masses. Okay, you get it out to the masses. Now you got to keep scaling and growing. You're doing the platform and you have multiple solutions on that. And so I wouldn't say any of them are easier, right? I think that's you going from zero to 10 million, 10 million to 100 million, 1 billion. And they all have different challenges.
1: I agree. I live in the problem and product market fit size of companies, and it's not for the faint of heart. It's gnarly. And often the problem that I've started to see, at least in this current environment, is there's so much money that companies are getting one or two customers and then throwing 10 million of venture dollars at Facebook, Google, LinkedIn ads, and really inefficiently trying to manufacture product market fit. That's not what it is. Product market fit feels like you're being pulled.
0: Yes. Like yes. you are
1: being extracted out of markets. You don't know what to do with the leads that are it feels yeah. like what's happening at Loom.
0: Yeah. It feels yeah.
1: like what's happening at product board. Feels like what's happening at Trip Actions.
0: Yeah, we grew seven hundred percent the first year I came in. A trip actions. 500% the second year. Yeah. I mean, that's product market fit. When you're growing, not 70%, we're talking 500% because you have a solution that people love and it solves the pain.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. On the 150 to 1200 ride at DocuSign, what was the worst part about that? What was your lowest point? Lowest point. Yeah, and can I preface this? Yeah. Your resume, along with every other one of my guests, reads like this up into the right, incredible success story. And it's pretty much the least relatable thing that I could <laughs> possibly tell a story about because that's just not how it is. That's not how it feels. Even product market fit has dark days.
0: I was there three and a half years. I loved it, and my role kept expanding, and i I took on more and more and We really went up market there. So we were heavy into corporate mid-market and we went up enterprise. So there are different challenges as you go up market. It's a different go-to-market and we didn't want to lose SMB. So you have to keep the engine going on SMB while going and building out mid-market, going into enterprise, longer sales cycle, different selling, packaging. And so I think the biggest challenge of these companies that can hit all these markets that have massive addressable markets is the go-to-market is different in each of those segments. And so you need to be able to organize the team and the flashpoint to your website. If I'm an S B and I come to your website and it says all this enterprise speak, it doesn't feel like it's for me. If I go there and I'm enterprise and you've got a bunch of little people I've never heard of, I think you're not relevant. And so I think the biggest challenge as we grew is being able to be something very specific to everyone. And you have to be smart. you got to use your technology. You've got to use personalization. You're figuring out who's coming to your site. You're adapting. I wanted to be the CMO of DocuSign and I didn't get the job. I went for it. At the end of my three years, our CMO was leaving and that's, I knew I wanted to be a CMO. And so I went to the CEO and CEO. I said, I want to be your CMO. And I went for it for 12 weeks. I fought for it. I had just had my third child. The CMO resigned the day I delivered. And within four days, I was like, I want to be your CMO. And I fought for it during my maternity leave to go be it. And ultimately, I didn't get it. I learned a lot in the process. I learned, What I needed to do, I built confidence, and eventually I ended up leaving to go be a CMO. But that didn't turn out the way I wanted. I loved working at DocuSign, and they did amazing, and they should. I think they made the right decision at that time. I think you it, agree. Yeah, I, it would have been hard for me to transition with my peer group to lead it, I think, and to be seen in that position. I had never been a CMO. They brought in Brad Brooks, who came from Juniper. He'd been a CMO. He saw the transition that was coming. I was kind of a up and comer. And so, you know, I think ultimately they made the right decision, but it was for me, like I went for it and didn't get it. So, you know, I don't get everything I go for, but I do try for a lot of things.
1: This perspective that you have now, of, I call it content, indifference towards the decision or agreeing with it. Did you feel that way then?
0: I came to terms with it, and I was like, I'm going to learn from this guy. Brad's going to come in. And I worked for him for about three months. I was like, he knows something I don't know. He knows about brand. I'd never run brand or corporate comms. He brought me in to listen from some of the agencies. He like took conflict head on a different way. Like He's like, I love conflict. It's how I get to know my peers and work with them. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting way of looking at different points of view and building relationships And at the same time, MongoDB was trying to get me to come be their CMO. And I kind of had your thought, well, I've never done the developer Mm -hmm. marketing. They're in New York. I'm in the Bay Area. But over the six months back and forth with them and saying, no, I'm not going to come be your CMO, I somehow built confidence. And I thought, okay, if this CEO thinks I can do it and has confidence in me, then maybe I need to go do it. Dave thinks I can do it. He sees something that my current company doesn't see. And he said to me, you know, you got to prove to them they made the wrong choice. And it was right. I had to go and go, no, I can do this and go build this team and go after it. So, I mean, I'm kind of a person who tries for a lot of things and I don't get them all, but I have so many things I'm trying for. I'm okay with it. Like, okay, I didn't get that, but I got these three things. I'm a glass half full. So I'm always seeing the silver lining, the learning. It's just how I get through failure. I just go, okay, well, I, that was supposed to happen. When I went to business school, I applied to Harvard and Yale. I didn't get into Harvard. And at the time, I was like, oh, I didn't get into Harvard. But I was like, okay, well, I got into Yale for a reason. Yeah, I met my husband. I got a great job coming out of that. I made a network from there. I am in the camp of things happen for a reason. And you take the learnings from them and you make whatever happened the best thing that could have happened. I don't know, it's like self-fulfilling.
1: But is that perspective retrofitted? What I mean by that is like, now you're in a happy relationship with your husband. Now you have (laughs) these great kids. Now you're really happy with what the way that you're- I think it's
0: your mindset. But
1: in the moment, do you also feel that way? Does that make sense? I went for it for 12 weeks. Like it still feels like a loss at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I went for it, but I fail fast. You know, you didn't get it. Get on board and move forward. Change is happening. I don't know. I think that's part of my success is if something doesn't go the right way, I figure out the situation I'm in and I deal with it. And then I make the best of that or I prove something wrong or I go fix it. I think it's that determination and what do you want and go figure it out. I don't know. I think attitude has a lot to do with not giving up.
1: Was it awkward when... Brad obviously knew that you were running at that job. And then he became like, there's a little bit of yeah, like- Yeah, for sure. Hey. I interviewed
0: him and I sat down to interview and I didn't know they had told him that I was also going for the CMO job. And he knew during the interview. And he knew. And so we were. I was interviewing, interviewing. And then towards the end, he goes- so they told me, you're also interviewing for this job. He asked me like kind of a very pointed question and I was like, oh, this is awkward, but I, well, I'll deal with it. I deal. I live in awkward. So I was like, oh, okay, well, yes, I am. And this is a long-term career thing for me and what I want to do. And he's was a very mature leader. And when he was given the job, he quickly set up time with me. We went to breakfast and I told him, hey, this is what I want to learn from you. Yes, this is what I want to do, but I can obviously learn a lot. I've never done brand, comms, and he did. He pulled me in to the agency. He brought an agency he'd worked with at Juniper. He let me go to those meetings. I really felt like he did everything he should have done when you have someone that's there on the team that you want to retain, but they didn't get the position they were going for. And I think he handled it really well.
1: What do you mean you live in awkward?
0: I don't, I just, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm used to dealing with tense situations. I always say marketing is a bunch of plates spinning in the air because you're doing brand, you're doing product marketing, you're going global, you're going up enterprise, you're building sales decks, you're enabling the field, you're enabling customer success, you're dealing with the fire drill, you've got press, you've got to get your CEO thought leadership, you're running events, you've got all these mediums online. And at any one time, one little mistake, it's very visual. It's not like you're an engineer coding something and everyone watches your code. In marketing, everything's visual. Everyone's a great marketer. Everyone has an opinion. You're supposed to be growing, learning. You've got a competitive landscape that's constantly changing. And you've got to balance all that. And you're managing a team that is not all the same. You're not hiring 50 reps in the West and the East. You've got enterprise mid-market. No, you've got very different personalities. You've got your product marketers who are analytical, MBAs, looking at the industry, crafting messaging, understanding the persona. You've got your creatives, your designers who are definitely a different type of group that are understanding how people react to colors and design and they're doing booths and direct mail and different things. You've got your marketing operations. They're running results. They're setting up dashboards. They're in, you know, we have 46 technologies in marketing. You've got to integrate all those technologies. You've got a website that has 20 technologies on it and it needs to look good. It needs to serve a bunch of different users that are coming in line. So you're managing web developers. I've got front-end developers, back-end developers, full stack. You've got a European team, they're localizing. And to get anything out the door to launch a product, you have to get all these different types of personalities to work together. Because nothing can go out the door if it's not relevant to the persona. Like, you've got to have the backbone, which is your product marketing, understand the persona and messaging. But those folks usually aren't great at taking it to market. So now you've got demand gen folks. You've got to get it out on email, social media, press, web. It's got to look good. Nothing goes out the door unless the designers are looking at it. Your sales reps need to know what's going on. You got to enable them with all their content, their decks. Now you've got a CSM team, your customer success, you got to make sure your customers know about the new features. It's a ton of teams you're bringing together. And at any one time, you make a bad decision, you got to go clean that up. And then the market landscape is changing nonstop and you are beholden to a lot of people. You need to serve your sales team. You need to serve your customers. You need to partner with product because you need to know what's coming and the launches. So it's a lot of different things going on. And you need to serve your people team because your employment brand, marketing needs to help with that. Your LinkedIn brand, your social, you're trying to hire. We got to hire a lot of people. You got to hire 100, 200 sales reps. You got to hire a bunch of engineers. Your brand is part of marketing. So make sure you're out there getting the right messaging out in the market. You're enabling your executives to be out they're speaking. There's a lot that goes on in marketing. And I think that to manage the different personalities, the different functions, and to get them to work all together in one org is a lot. So you live in, I would say, awkward. You live in just knowing there's a lot that you need to do. So you prioritize.
1: Drop the mic. You just (laughs) laid down a marketing (laughs) manifesto. Oh my God. (laughs) Who would have thought a small question about living in awkwardness. Just wow. Wow couple of things that you just said, actually many things, but just random thoughts that I have. These are like really basic, stupid thoughts. So sure. just indulge me, will you? Yeah. I live in Carlos's world, yeah. not your world. Yes. So let me just preface that, okay? So I would think that attribution to skill in a marketer is very difficult compared to a salesperson. What I mean by that is that it's very black and white how good you are, generally speaking.
0: Yeah, you either make the number or you don't. You make
1: the number or you don't. And then you can be very specific. There is not that much collaboration. Like, don't get me wrong, there is. Yes. But it's not the same as marketing. To get a product out the door, as an example. Like you close a deal, you can pretty specifically go into the details of that deal or the way you hit your number or the way you approach building a territory or what PG looks like for you. There's a lot of ways to be very specific about it. I imagine it's not as cut and dry in marketing? Maybe I'm wrong. So that's question one. Is that true? Question two, if it is true, does that also mean that in a marketing org, there's more political jockeying because you need to make sure that you have attribution for the things that you do? Again, I'm just throwing things out yeah. there. do wrong.
0: I mean, it's true. Marketing's art and science right? There's a lot of things we can measure. There's 15,000 plus metrics, depending if you're looking at social media, there's metrics. If you're looking at your website, there's metrics. If you're looking at measure product marketing by sales productivity, if your reps are productive, product marketing is doing their job and PR is doing their job because they go in there, they've heard of you. And then you have all the hurdles that the customer is going to throw at you and you're ready for them. And so you look at brand, everything in marketing has a metric as well as the whole funnel. Are you giving the right leads? Are they converting with the SDR? Are they qualified? Do they then go on to the rep? Does the rep create an opportunity? Do they close a rep opportunity? So yes, in marketing, each of the functions on my team measure those 15,000 to see if their inner function is doing the right thing. But at my level, I've got to tie it all the way. Did we hit the revenue number or not? What are the company goals? And so no matter what function you're in, you're tied to revenue. We do not succeed if sales does not hit the revenue target. How
1: much of your compensation is tied to revenue? Or do you have a variable compensation? Yes.
0: Yeah. Tied to hitting our our revenue targets. Yes. Yes. But even if you don't, you're not going to be the CMO anymore if sales doesn't hit the revenue target. Right? Your job yep. is to make sure you hit your company targets. And it's the quarterly revenue targets and it's the overall brand. I mean, there's a lot of things you're thinking about the future of the company and where it's going and the short term hitting those goals. So, as far as attribution, align marketing to the revenue target. Yes, eventually the leaders of those functions trickle it down to the individual level. But at the end of the day, at the beginning of every all hands, I look at our dashboard, which is the funnel for that month. And everyone, the 50 people in marketing now are looking at, where are we on our revenue targets? Where are we on opportunities? Where are we on qualified through the SDR or how many leads that are qualified, the volume? And I make sure everyone looks at sort of the North Star of that. And if you wanna change behavior, then change what they're measured on. But you're right, it is different than sales. You can tell right away if a rep's gonna make it or not. It's pretty clear. You either made the business target or you didn't. Yep. And marketing, it's not completely clear except that if re- they're not making their revenue targets you're messing up something in marketing yep. right if nobody's heard of you go look at your pr your content and your event strategy if you're not getting enough leads go look at demand gen what are you doing to capture the people once they've yep. heard about you right and you're bringing all that together
1: i will play devil's advocate to myself a little bit which is that in sales especially in this market especially in the valley there are mediocre reps at trip actions today that look like heroes because the business is growing 700%. There was those reps at Mongo. There was those reps at DocuSign. There is reps at every one of these insanely fast growing companies. At some point when you're 7xing the business, there is more demand than there is people to meet that demand. That's the way that these high growth businesses go. And so Everyone's hitting presidents club. Everyone overachieved on their quota. I'm not picking on the companies that you work from, just giving examples of how I grow. Well, companies. then
0: your quota's not high enough.
1: Well, so <laughs> so what, what you end up doing is you you have to distill it down to qualities and characteristics of those people. So the line of questioning that you ask is a similar one that I ask. I want to understand how you learn. I want to understand your curiosity. And so I unpack, where do you learn from? Yeah. I want to understand resourcefulness. And so I'll uncover resourcefulness. I want to figure out are you competitive? I want to figure out, are you resilient? I want to figure out- Go
0: through a global pandemic as a travel company. <laughs> and we'll talk about resiliency. Go oh. from zero revenue to back to revenue.
1: Tell me about that. Carlos and I recorded in probably June of last year.
0: Okay, 2020, in the throes of it.
1: And I kind of have a rule of thumb that I generally try to not talk about COVID on the show. Fair. Because the idea is that, Hopefully in 10 years, someone can yeah. still listen to these episodes sure. and extract value yeah. independent of the current events. Yeah. However, Carlos, when we talked, cause we had to talk like this, yeah. is, yeah. a travel management yeah. company. Yes. And he said, it's not very good right now. Like things are not <laughs> very good. And he said, the one opportunity that we have is we grew up so quickly yes. that none of the systems and processes that we had in place were built for the scale that we needed to go ahead. Our base was just not wide enough. Yeah. And so he said, this is kind of our opportunity right now to rebuild a lot of those systems yeah. to enable us to get to the other side of this, whenever that is.
0: Yeah, I think he's short selling You know, it was really interesting. Carlos joined and then COVID hit he's a month selling. later, right? No, but what I'm saying is, I think he's one of the reasons we came out so strongly out of this is he took us up market to enterprise and landed really large deals and really validated I mean, that was our goal to go up market and enterprise and his rigor and ability to come in and hire the right talent and focus on enterprise. And, you know, enterprise is still traveling. He also diversified us. We went into a lot of other industries because who was traveling? Healthcare is traveling. You had manufacturing traveling. You had retail had to go to their stores. So there were other industries traveling. So he took us into other industries and he took us up market and enterprise. And these logos that he brought on just really validated us up market. Um, So definitely he, he was the right hire at the right time. And he came from the PTC grit. I loved having him as a partner. The other thing we did that year is we launched Liquid. Yeah. So we we had to go into another market outside of business travel, which was expense management and payments.
1: Yeah. And I didn't realize this was going to be a Carlos Appreciation Show, but in Ben Horowitz's book, he talks about peacetime and wartime CEOs. Yes. Yeah. Carlos is a freaking He's wartime, a wartime, wartime. <laughs> CRO. He's a wartime he CRO. Yeah. He is. So just to paint a picture for the audience listening. Yeah. Because everyone... It, at least in our general world that's in tech, while there was a lot of hurt in the world, tech experienced an incredible general tailwind. Yes. Because everyone went online, yeah, everyone went it digital. Accelerated it digital. accelerated digital adoption to an incredible like it brought yes. the world five years closer. Yes. That is not what happened to Trip Actions. Because imagine, and tell me if this is wrong, but I want to paint this picture appropriately. Imagine if demand overnight was reduced by ninety plus percent. Your MQLs yeah. were yeah. people from, were
0: not looking for travel. Sleep. They
1: went from, let's call it a thousand a month, I'm just making up numbers, yeah. to sub a hundred. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, we were all PGing. It everyone. was, <laughs> everyone was in sales. Marketing, I mean, if I think about how marketing changed, we had to go find business and we had to create a sense of urgency and why now is the time to switch out your platform. You're not traveling. So let's go switch it out and have you come out on a modern solution. And our engineers were busy building product that people needed post covid duty of care, health certificates, vaccines, integrations with Sherpa. So you understand the environment where you're at, where you're going, uh, when you're traveling. So the engineering team built a lot of product and then we doubled down on liquid and payments. Every company was still had to set up office equipment at home, mm-hmm. had to buy marketing Going
1: dollars. into like the Expensify. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Going into that market, that accelerated.
1: It's almost like back to your evolution of companies that for you accelerated the urgency to become a platform with multiple products. Yeah, it did. Did you ever think the business wasn't going to make it? I remember Airbnb, which is in a similar boat to you, had existential moments of, they raised a boatload of money at quite a discount. That deal that Silver Lake did for Airbnb at whatever it was, $12 billion, might be the greatest investment ever.
0: I mean, I voted with my feet. I stayed at the company because I thought there was a world where we were going to travel again. And I believed deeply in the executive team and our CEO, Ariel specifically, and his ability to pivot, build product. We had very strong board representation. I knew we would come out of it. We had to streamline. We had to go through layoffs and we had to downsize. But I fundamentally believed This was a massive market and the incumbents, if anything, were getting weakened by it. I mean, we had strong product, we had strong investment. We weren't so large that, if you think about the big players, they all had massive real estate infrastructure, outdated legacy. They, they had bloat. Hurt. Yep. Yeah, they had bloat. They had you know, 12,000 agents. If anything, it weakened them. It accelerated our growth because it weakened the big players. And then the little players that weren't smart investing in the product and saving cash, like we got our cash burned down really quickly, they went out of business or sold or consolidated. There's been a lot of consolidation. So we've been fortunate. Our leadership team managed Cash direction, product build, focus on the user. So we went now as we're coming out, our booking numbers and travel numbers are larger than January 2020. So we are coming out of it. And our customers are still only at 50% travel levels. Yeah. It's just we have enterprise, we have a lot more customers and enterprise clients. And so think of this three, four, six months from now, what travel is going to look like when everyone ramps back up full speed.
1: Yeah. Okay, so going back to your earlier comment on everything happens for a reason, yeah. like retrospectively, you are coming out of this. Yes. You did recently raise at 7.25 billion. Yeah. Congratulations. So this is the real deal, but it couldn't have felt as rosy as you're painting it now in the moment.
0: No, not at all. I mean, laying off 20 some people in one day in 15 minute increments so you could talk to everyone, that was crying at the end of the day and a stiff drink. That's probably the lowest point of my career.
1: And 25 people you'd mentioned earlier is about like 50 people in your org. So you laid off half I the laid org. off
0: half my org and I've rehired 20 some people in the last three months.
1: Before the word started to spread, you wanted to make sure the message came from you.
0: On the day we got two groups, the team that wasn't impacted in marketing, specifically the team that was, you want to let them know right away. Because if you start to call people People slacking, texting, so you need to like let people know. And then immediately you're putting times on their calendar and you're, it's a 30 minute meeting, but to get to 20 some people in eight, nine hours and have to go through everything like you want to talk to everyone and you want to talk to them that day and we're in the middle of covid so you can't see them in person you can't it's all, you, zoom. You, it's all zoom so it's it's the worst way to have to do this and you're getting on and you're going from one emotional conversation to the next and you're talking to them, you're explaining it. And then your people partner is taking the next 15 minutes while you go and talk to the next person. To explain
1: what's happening. What's, yeah, yeah. To what's, understand yeah. the
0: details, answer more questions. And then you set up more time later and you go back and talk to them, but you want to get to everyone. And I did not have any of my leads on my team do the terminations. No matter if they reported me or not, if they were in my org, I talked to every single person. I just felt like, one, I couldn't put my leads through that. Most of my leads have never even terminated anyone, let alone make them go through that. And so I figured I was going to have every single conversation with every single person. And I owed it to everyone on my team. Because these are very strong, talented people. We were growing 700%, 500%, like zero. So you, you owe it to your team.
1: Worst day of your career?
0: Worst day. And the night before, no sleeping. The three days before, like definitely no sleeping. What,
1: just thinking about how they were going to go? Yeah,
0: just, yeah. How do I not do this? What are other things I can do? And how do I cut budget? I mean, I was like- trying to hide people left and right, right? So like figure out how do I keep everyone on? And I was pivoting people's roles to take on other things and a time where we needed to work harder than ever. Because then after we did that, we had a lot of work to do because we had to pivot all of our messaging. We went from the best experience in business travel where no one was having a great time traveling because of COVID to, hey, cost control, visibility, safety of employees. We had to rewrite everything, rewrite website, sales enablement decks. It became very serious tone. And so that meant everything rewritten, you name it, social, web, content, blogs, enablement, everything in marketing got redone within like two or three weeks.
1: So this stuff always comes up and there's a reason the show has the word grit in it. And grit is forged when you put the iron in the fire. Those three nights before yeah, and those subsequent weeks, like that's when you build that coat of armor. Yes. If you were to do it again, knowing what you know now, not even the layoffs, but the feeling, are there any things from a personal perspective that you did besides the extremely stiff drink, maybe it went from a double <laughs> to a triple vodka, but are there any things that you felt like kept you grounded in the moments, giving you perspective where it wasn't just sadness and I don't know, working out or-
0: Yeah, g- I mean, going, definitely. Into your,
1: going into your closet and reading books. Like, I don't know what it was, but I'm just curious what people are doing as the iron is in the fire.
0: We were in a crisis and we were focused. So, yes, did I try and ride a, a bike for 30 minutes in the morning to try and relieve stress? Yeah, but at the end of the day, I remember we were sitting there and I saw this Latin proverb and it was like, if there's no wind, row. So, while having to downsize everyone, we needed to row because there was no inbound at this moment. So, how are we going to get out of the situation? Row. And more time, what are the things we need to do right now, and get everyone focused. Because not only did you lay off people, the people that didn't get laid off have guilt around their colleagues that have left. So how do you tend to their need? And they're dealing with a pandemic. Let's not forget about that. But how do you attend to them, but get them focused on what you need to do to get the business moving forward in a different environment? And so I think for two weeks, we were just so focused, out of focus, you couldn't think about anything else. There's just no time. You're going from one thing to the next because you need to lead through it. And I did keep thinking, okay, am I being a good leader right now? What am I doing to lead through this? I can't sit there in shock and pity <laughs> right okay what would a, a good leader do right now well they're going to focus they're going to prioritize i had stand up meetings every day go war room every day in the morning what are the three things we need to do today and i had the team check in so i did like a core team of 10 every morning and then every night i checked in with the team and then we did you know you started layering in the happy hours over zoom the zoom walks get everyone out of the house cuz i thought oh my gosh everyone's in their apartments can yeah. they walk in the backyard can they walk around the block what am i doing to get people out of the house safely What am I doing to get them focused on their job? What do we need to keep doing? And what are we hearing? So it was really a very focused time. If I sat there and just got, wow, this sucks, I would have been dead. I wouldn't have been at the job anymore. So it was a very like, okay, what do we need to do? Let's focus. RO was doing the same thing. Focus leadership, focus engineering, start building product. What does the customer need? Focus on your customer.
1: And in the boardroom, what did it feel like?
0: We had very supportive board they were looking at the environment. They brought in what other portfolio companies are looking to do. They got it. They were supportive. They watched us through execution. They put their talent, their energy. I felt very supported by our board.
1: Random question for you. What is the hardest job that you have to hire for every time?
0: I feel like it changes. Product marketing, I would think in general, is a good one overall. Hiring product marketers is hard because you need solid analytical message. Like they have to be good at their craft, but they also need to be good at their domain. There's no supplement for someone who's got domain expertise. And so how do you marry someone who knows the domain with someone who knows the academics of product marketing and can translate that into sales enablement? So I find that to be a tough one to hire for.
1: Hmm. Okay. I've heard you say that in your first six weeks of trip actions- you hired 20 plus people, how? Was part of your evaluation criteria of trip actions as an opportunity, seeing if those that you knew were great would come with you. And so kind of like lining them up to be like, hey, here's what I'm thinking, what would you do? Is this something that you're interested in? And then you've already kind of warmed them up to the idea before stepping into the job.
0: So I have a few people I've worked with at multiple companies over and over again, so certainly that's part of it. But in the transition from, basically I was coming back from New York to the West Coast, and it was actually quite hard. You know, when I joined MongoDB, we were dual-headquartered, but within a year or two, we consolidated headquarters to New York, and pretty much offsites sites happened in New York, board meetings happened in New York, all the new execs were getting hired in New York. And so I found it harder to hire for a tech company in New York, when most of my network had been in the Bay Area. Mm. And so there were some really good talented people that didn't want to do the cross country thing at the time. And so I actually found it a lot easier to come back to the West Coast and hire. And I had 10 people on my team when I joined TripActions and I had 24 open headcount. And in some ways there's fires everywhere. There's a bunch of things we needed to be doing and we weren't doing enough to support the sales team. We had an amazing brand. They'd done a lot of great work on the brand. We had an amazing product, but we needed to build out all the functions. We needed to build out product marketing and content. We needed to hire in Europe. We needed a design team. We needed a web team. Everything was really outsourced to a lot of agencies. And so bringing that in-house message alignment, there was a lot that needed to happen. And I knew I needed to hire leaders and I needed to hire their teams. So when I looked at the 20, I brought in half the leaders I had already worked with at prior companies. So I hired people that had been at DocuSign with me. Maybe they weren't at DocuSign anymore, but I had worked with them at DocuSign. I'd worked with them at ArcSight. I had... 12 people I'd probably worked with over the last decade. And so as soon as I knew I was going to Trip actions, I did start to reach out to different leaders saying, hey, I have a new opportunity I'm about to go work on. Where are you at? Are you happy? What are you doing? But if I had waited for them to join and then spend a month or two months to hire, I never could hire that fast. So I was hiring the leaders and the people on their team. And then I was introducing them to each other before they both started. Because I just knew, hey, I needed people to do this function within it as well as the leader. And I prioritized hiring over anything else because I couldn't dig out. Marketing is fire drills all day long especially if you're behind and you're scaling, the company's scaling so fast. You're growing 700% that year. You are already leapfrogging what you need to do in marketing in like a month. And we bought 46 technologies, right? We had to implement those. We rewrote we the entire website. We 46 technologies in a year? In two years. We're at 46 oh now, my. but we probably bought 20 that first year. We rewrote the entire website by code. We used to have 13 pages. We have 1300 pages on our website. We built blogs. We did a bunch of things. We had to put the right people process and technology in place to scale. We had to get a budget. I had to set up QBRs for marketing. And so, yeah, I hired leaders and people on their team so then they could start doing the excellence in their functions so we could scale the company. But there was no way I was going to do it by myself with 10 folks that didn't have those functions.
1: I can't help but ask you, like, I listened to you talk and I feel like you're in your first ever job the way that you care so much shocks me because you've accomplished so much what are you still trying to prove I can't help but listen to you caring so much so deeply passionate about this thing why where is that coming from I mean, I. I mean, all. That's why
0: I love marketing. I mean, it's hard. You could be a CMO, and it's you never master it. And it's because of all the moving parts. It's the people. It's the new technology that's out there. It's your competitive landscape. It's going from product market fit to platform fit. There's always something you're dealing with new salespeople, new functions going up market, and I don't know. I love it. I think I would be bored if I wasn't doing it. I like the challenge of it. I like working. There's a lot of satisfaction from that. And so, yeah, I I've always been someone who likes to take this stuff on.
1: It's amazing, just to be clear. It's, it's it's inspiring. You've said in the past that success comes from your ability to look at a problem and solve it. When you're interviewing people for your team, how do you qualify problem-solving skills?
0: Yeah, I mean, unless I'm hiring a specific leader, usually they've been vetted by the team from more of a domain standpoint and i'm looking at their background i'm i'm looking at the feedback and now i'm trying to figure out are they the right fit culturally for us in the company and are they how i want to orient the team and what i mean by that is i try to get rid of the victims I want the problem solvers. I want the ones who I can give very big, hairy problems to, and they go find out how to solve it. They figure out how to get people on other teams to do what they need, even though they don't work for them. And so I'm interviewing. I'm asking things like, what do you love about your current job? And I'm hearing that. What do they love about it? Because usually you're interviewing someone who's not looking to leave if you're trying to poach someone or, or go in there. And then I ask them what they hate about it. And what they hate about it is very telling If they come back and say, what I hate about my job is I told them we should do this and we're not doing that. You know, I don't have enough budget or I don't have enough headcount. Nobody's listening to me. And I think, oh, wow, they're going to come here and nobody's going to listen to them. Mm -hmm. Right? Because nobody listens to you. If you don't sell the value, align people on goals, you have to earn the respect of your colleagues, peers to get the money, to get the budget, to get the company to go in that direction. So I'm looking for people who can figure out what do we need to do? How do I sell the value to the team? How do I make the right decisions? You execute, make right decisions, you earn all those things. So, I want someone who's gonna come and solve problems, not come to me at, at my desk and say all the reasons why they couldn't do what we needed to do. I'm hiring them to come to me and go, okay. I'm- Let's try this, or I think we should do this. And if you can go solve these big hairy problems, you're going to also get promoted. I'm going to give you more big, hairy problems, right? Mm-hmm. Your role' is going to expand. You're going to move up in it because people who move up, they can take on more problems, solve them, orient people, and all of that. So I'm trying to find people who can come and solve problems, And we deal with a lot of change. I need someone who can deal with change. I don't want someone to just come in and just do the day- to- day. Startups are all about figuring out running hard, beating the competition. Doing something maybe differently. Marketing, you have to be creative. You can't just do the same thing over and over again, right? As soon as you've found a way to, to win share on a social platform, it changes or that gets old. You have to keep reinventing, inventing yourself. So people who can innovate and do that and solve it versus coming to me going, you know, I need you to solve this problem or this person won't do what I want. Okay, great. Let me go help you figure out this person. Like people who are political stopping what we need to get done because they can't figure out the relationship. That's not a great way to use your time. You want to be facing the competition, attacking the market, solving the problem. Not that, you know, you have to deal with the internal people stuff, but if you can bring people on who know how to collaborate, work, and do that, your team moves much faster. And it's a better place to work. Who wants to work in a place where people aren't collaborating, taking on tough problems? And conflict is there, but work through it.
1: I'm smiling because Trip Actions obviously has more than one wartime executive on the e-staff with you. What do you hate the most about your job?
0: Sometimes it's trying to find those right hires, right? You know, I see a hole. I know I need to go get this very specific candidate and I'm kissing a lot of frogs and I haven't found the right candidate. It takes a lot of time. It's an important part of your job and everyone needs to be good at hiring. But sometimes like it's not... Going out there and trying to get people and reach out. You know, I'm I'm basically selling into LinkedIn and. It used to be you'd meet these people out in the wild. You'd meet them at events. You'd right. meet them. Right now we're all online. I think we, we just have to get out there just to meet people and build networks. If you went to a bunch of events and you saw people and talented people and met them, that's a much better way than to go find people on LinkedIn, try to reach into them, try to convince them to talk to you, then have a conversation. It's better networking being out there. I think the job was easier to hire when we weren't all at home.
1: Speaking of hiring... Are you hiring? Yes. What are you hiring for? And are there any key roles that you want to shout out for the audience in case they're listening as the first CMO guest and the marketing audience hasn't gotten any love until now that you want to shout out?
0: Yeah. I mean, so we're hiring like crazy. We're hiring uh, certainly always in engineering, sales, recruiting, and we'll hire probably another thousand people this year. Marketing specifically, always looking for strong product marketers, our liquid product, expense, payments, corporate cards. I want fintech people. I want domain expertise. So anyone that's in that space that loves tackling that market, come talk to me. I'm also the GM of Lemonade, which is personal travel. So if you use us for business travel, you can use us to book your personal trips. I'm hiring a leader for that team. Basically, you're running a whole function, thinking about the product direction, marketing, working with engineering, and it's fun because it's more of the consumer That's side. a sweet job. Yeah, consumer marketing for that is a lot of fun. And we have 4,000 customers you can market into and we're adding more customers every month. So yeah, I'm hiring in the lemonade world as well.
1: I ask this question to every guest, what does the word grit mean to you?
0: Not giving up, I think, and taking what's thrown at you And find a solution, right? Figure a way to get through it. It's the glass half full. Figuring out, these are the cards you're dealt. Either play a new game or figure out how to make it work. And I think that's a big part of it. Don't give up.
1: Megan, thank you. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you're just discovering the podcast, we have a lot more episodes from organizations like Snowflake, Twilio, Slack, LinkedIn, Box, et cetera. If you want to keep up or support the show, the best way to do so is by following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple, and leaving a review. Thanks. Talk soon.